Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players Podcast. This is one of our Naira carryover shows. It is Sunday, December 11th, as we get very late in the year, in the midst of the holiday season. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the Brooklyn Bunker once again. The tree got set up last night. Uh, eggnog was consumed. It, it's pretty much full on here. I imagine that's the scene as well down on the planet Texas, where today's guest, who you know from his fantastic work at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, resides, among other places. He is Nick Tamro. Nick, are the holidays in full swing? Full swing for sure. I think we we put our tree up when people were still eating Thanksgiving leftovers. So we've had <laughs> it up for, for the maximum amount of time. Uh, you know, with the little one, it always always gets very exciting. And so... We've convinced her that Santa Claus is available by phone for her to speak to him, but that he's also watching to make sure she's well-behaved. So <laughs> if we can continue that for a while. <laughs> I love it. Great stuff. Sounded like you had a busy uh, sports day yesterday between uh, between soccer and, and racing. Who are, you, who are you pulling for in the World Cup from here? You know, I have no rooting interest, and I will admit that there's something really fun and enjoyable about this Morocco team. Yeah. That, you know, you kind of you kind of feel a little bit uh, like they, you know, might be a team of destiny. Of course, destiny often runs into problems along the way, and, and that uh, could end up being France. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy watching the high-level players as far as soccer goes, and so Mbappe and, and Messi playing at a high level is really, really fun to see. Um, I will admit that I bet the Dutch the other day, so I was I was definitely anti-Argentina, and part of me just wants Argentina to be beaten as quickly as possible. But um, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a rooting interest. I'm hoping for you know a good couple of semifinal matches, and then a good uh, a good final that I think could end up being you know pretty interesting if if we see Argentina and France. I will probably have to be very cynical and bet against the, the the Cinderella story in the next round, thinking that it's time for Morocco to turn into a pumpkin. But of course, as a neutral, would definitely be pulling for those. Such a great story. All right, we're not here to talk soccer. We're here to talk horse racing. We've got a pick six carryover today in New York at Aqueduct. 38,000 plus being carried over into this sequence. It kicks off in race number four. But we've got a starter allowance for Phillies and Mares three and up, going seven furlongs on the dirt. How shall we light this candle, my friend? You know, I took a small shot here with the seven short summer dress, who I felt like last time out really faced a, a solid group of horses in Fuete and self-isolation, as well as Peace of My Heart. Uh, Fuete and Peace of My Heart came back and ran against each other in a third horse race, on, three horse race on Thursday, which Fuete wired. I think they improved their buyer speed figure uh, by a pretty sizable sum. So I think there's something to be said for that race. And short summer dress was, you know, kind of stuck behind them, ended up racing along the inside, didn't really get the most comfortable run of it. If Fuete improved her buyer figure by 13 points, I didn't know it was that much. Um, so that was a race I think that was probably better than it, it looks on paper. And she's knocked heads with some pretty nice horses, including Smash Ticket and Betsy Blue back in July. I know she was with uh, Robertino Diodoro at that point, and he kind of let her go. Joe Lee is a much better trainer than people realize. He doesn't have a lot of very good horses. He was a longtime assistant of Kieran McLaughlin, so uh, I wouldn't worry too much about uh, about this mare being in his barn now. So that was where I landed. I think the logical runner is Spooky Road on the inside, as well as the entry, uh, depending on which half or if both end up going. Um, they they definitely can run both because there are different jockeys named Spooky Road's been a winner of two straight. And, you know, it's kind of funny, Pete, in, in digging into Linda Rice's stats and her run that she's on over the last month or so, 
Um, she has won seven races in the last two weeks and they've all been two to one or less. The only horse in the last month that she's won with at better than five to one is this horse. And it's, it's funny that she keeps bringing her back quickly and she's working her way up the ladder, you know, so quickly at the same time, you almost wonder if maybe seven eighths and the rail, um, given that she does look like a a Philly, a little bit more geared towards longer distances might finally be her undoing. I I don't see how you could bet a pick six without her. So for me, I'm going to start it with the two and seven and I'm going to have the one and five as backups because I just don't know if easy to bless is going to be ready off a lengthy layoff. Jimmy Ferraro, 0 for 11, 180 plus day layoffs on the dirt. I just was with the logical runners here. Obviously, I'll take another long look at short summer dress based on your say-so. That's certainly a good a good case about the, the subtle class relief that might be going on there. But I did put Spooky Road on top. So clearly thrives on her racing in good form. And I was just envisioning a nice trip, enough speed to get position, enough punch to get home potentially. And you made the point about easy to bless and will she be ready off the long layoff? It's tricky, but I just have to use as a late season four-year-old, she's improved off those good numbers from the spring. That's going to be very, very competitive in here. And maybe that quick looking last work signals readiness. I need to have some fives on the ticket and the entry I thought was an obvious one to back up with. So two five for me with the one as a backup for Nick seven and two with the one and five as backups. And that will bring us to leg B race. Number five, New York bread Phillies and mares three and up in the allowance ranks. We're going six and a half. I put the six Kali Magic on top. Very rough go of things last time. Breaking poorly and chasing from a tough spot. Fits very well off the previous run. Love to see a clean beginning for this horse because that's certainly been uh, a little bit tricky in the last couple of outings. The three, Ribos Valentine, one with a perfect trip last time. Might just be improving late in the three-year-old year. Could get another perfect trip again. And then I will include the four spin a yarn who's seemingly gone off form, but has enough of a pace edge looking at the time form U.S. pace projector that I will give her one more go of things in here. Six, three, and four were the numbers for me in race number five. How do you see it? Yeah, not terribly differently. I I do think that Kali Magic is probably looking at this sequence in the big picture approach. Uh, this is a horse who you probably can lean on a little bit. The, the second place finish two back behind Lilu looks even better given what we saw from Lilu earlier this week here at Aqueduct with a blowout win against better competition. And uh, as you alluded to, Kali Magic just had a, a brutal go of it last time. This is a filly who wants to be not necessarily on the lead, but I think she wants to be engaged. She really lost all chance in getting bumped at the start and pinched back, ended up making a big wide middle move as Manny Franco basically made whatever attempt he could to get her into you know, quasi contention. So I wouldn't hold that race against her. One thing, this race is pretty short on his speed, and I think she can be much more forwardly placed with a cleaner break. I did think that uh, that a little consideration could be given to Captain's Daughter going turf to dirt. I think a lot of people are just going to completely overlook her based on that turf race last time out. The one other then to two other then, I have no statistical data to back this up. It's mainly anecdotal. But the one other then to two other then New York bred jump is enormous. And, and I think that she really acquitted herself well off of that 
that deep in the pack win three starts ago for Russell Cash and coming back to run third um, on October 23rd. I don't, I didn't think she had the best of trips that day either. She got a little shuffled out around the turn and uh, Eric Consell just has this obsession with going as wide as possible on off the pace horses. And so he ended up kind of planting her in the middle of the track after she dropped back a little bit. Well, he might not be able to get all the way out there breaking from the two. So that might not necessarily be the worst thing. I picked it six, two, eight, three. I don't have a big lean against happy Sophia, who was victorious against open company last time out. She had a real excuse to back when beaten by funny house stuck to the rail that day. And I did think both Rebo's Valentine and spinny yarn were the kind of horses you could use on a, on a bigger, maybe spreadier ticket. Spinny yarn at one point was definitely good enough to win downstate and, and is the main speed on paper. Rebo's Valentine is a horse who uh, I think the big knock is exactly what I was just talking about, which is that she's going to try and win two in a row moving up in condition, which can often be pretty difficult. But if you have the budgetary capability, I would, uh, I'd use her as a backup for me. It, it's just going to be two and six as A's and I would back up with the uh, three, four and eight. Three, four, eight on the backup line, and that will move us along to race number six, where we've got the two-year-old New York maiden-claiming 40s going six furlongs on the dirt. Nick, we'll keep it with you. I picked eight, the eight Max Foster, who I actually liked last time, and I think he was just overmatched uh, behind Don't Lose Cruz and Mariachi. Um then two starts ago, I mean, he had the, the the unbelievably difficult task of lining up in the gate with the one and only looms boldly, which I think uh, <laughs> fewer often prepared for for doing something like that. But um, this is a this is a drop in class, I think, that is just really significant because this is it's tough to say with them being so lightly raced. This feels like a weaker than par maiden claiming race. So I thought Max Foster was interesting. I'll tell you who I was intrigued by. Two Pete was the one, the Cadillac kid who I don't love the post position, obviously, but this is a Charlie Baker second-time starter who he debuted in a stake race. And the horse went off 67-1, to which is totally understandable. But um, And now he's got him in for a tag with the blinkers going on. You know, Charlie, one of those guys that can do things that sometimes look unorthodox and they feel like they pay off really often enough for for you to, to pay a little bit of attention. Uh, the four fire King is now in Jose Camejo's care and shows up as a new gelding. This barn has really good numbers with, uh, with trainer switches more specifically in the last five years. First off of trainer change on the dirties, 20%, just a buck 68 ROI. Those numbers have really risen in the last couple of years when his barn has gotten quite a bit better. And then I'd mentioned the seven disarmed who's the morning line favorite. I came back and, and, and ran against looms boldly himself in his first try on the dirt, ended up stuck inside much of the way, which was probably not the place to be that day. But again, I mean, you're dealing with a horse that debuted on the turf that, you know, Christophe Clement kept on the turf for three starts before he moved him to the dirt. It's hard to envision a horse like that would end up being a particularly good dirt horse, but nonetheless, I'm going to try and just get through this leg and use the one, seven and eight as A's, I'll back up with the four and nine. All right, one, seven, eight as A's, and backing up with the four and the nine as I put together our notes for the In the Money Plus folks. I did go ahead and put Disarmed on top, and of course I am really interested in this horse because two things going on here, of course, this is the first one to run back, I'm pretty sure, from the Looms Boldly win, so interested to get a little bit of a line on that form. And you mentioned about the time that Disarmed spent on the rail. Looms Boldly spent a little time on the rail in that race as well, and I agree, I'm un undecided about it sort of leaning towards the idea that it wasn't the place to be so we'll but i really want to just you know figure that out i mean if looms boldly's last race was actually a little better than it looked it really might look very good in the 
the presumable uh, stakes try that will be going on in the in the Rigo Park should everything go well in early next year. And that race just came back fast enough that it felt like Disarm might maybe be. I agree it's unusual to have Clement try one three times on the turf and then they end up being a better dirt horse, but I can't rule out that possibility. And against a field of this uh, strength or lack thereof, felt like it was an okay horse to just go ahead and default and put on top. Max Foster, who you mentioned, another very logical dropper, just outclassed against those maiden special weights. And then the stranger that I look for, I like your case on the one as kind of a stranger, but the 11 Zuka race, two siblings, both one at two, race day above average with first-time starters. I might just throw in in case the ones who've run just end up not being all that good. Seven, eight, and 11 were the numbers that I landed on here in race number six. Let's now, go to Pete, I don't want to get you too excited, but there has been one run back from the Looms Boldly race, which was the nightcap winner yesterday. What's up, bro? And oh, that's by, right. Of course. He won by the length of the stretch and improved his buyer figure by 31 points. That's right. So that's right. there's, uh, in fact, I, I think there's, I feel like, and, and I'll look this up as you talk because I'm awfully verbose this morning anyway. I must have woken up with a little fire. But um, the, I think the figure on the Looms Boldly race is a little low. I feel like I thought that when it first ran, and, and maybe I, I said that to Marshall. But, um, yeah, great, great start for runners from that race, and we'll see how Disarmed ends up doing. Excuse me. Another reason another reason to make sure you have plenty of Disarmed in this sequence. Race number seven, this one I found head-scratching. we got a starter allowance going a mile and an eighth this time around. I ended up going with locally owned, the three, who I thought would get a good setup for a late run. Spent a lot of time on that same rail we were just talking about that I wasn't too sure about. Was also bumped at the break there. Might have gotten the wind knocked out of him. Anyway, plenty of potential excuses, and the previous two runs would put locally owned right there, I believe. The five rough C, another for whom the race should be run to suit. Second off the layoff here with some good back numbers. And then this one I'm not sure about, but I thought about enough that I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and put the one outlier in there as a backup. Set the pace in the Cigar Mile, back real fast and back on Lasix. I don't know that this horse wants any part of a mile and an eighth, but I'm inclined to just include. So three and five on the top line, but the one is a backup for me. But I felt like you could make cases for three, four other horses in here. How did you see it? Yeah, super fun race. And I hope that we don't really get hurt by scratches because if this field stays together, it should be a really interesting race and actually landed on locally owned just like you did. And a big part of my argument for locally owned was going to be that Tom Orley's barn was really struggling in the, the pretty much two to two and a half months after Saratoga. So more or less from you know September all the way through the end of November. And, and it now seems to be waking up again. He's had a couple of wins in the last two weeks, and uh, including Curbstone on, on uh, I think, Friday, Thursday or Friday, uh, with, with, which was actually Madison uh, Oliver, the apprentice's first win, and that horse was 12 or 13 to 1. So there's reason to believe that his barn might be kind of breaking out of the doldrums, and locally owned ran right in the middle of it and, um, and ended up stuck inside the whole way. Now, locally owned is a bit of a rail rat. So that's my only worry. He has generally been at his best when he can run inside of horses. He's run fine outside, 
But, you know, if this is a, a situation where the rail is okay today, I'm not going to be surprised if Jorge Vargas puts this horse on the inside for a big chunk of the race. He's just going to be the best price of the horses that I think can win. Uh, like you, I didn't know exactly what to do with Outlier, but God, I love this guy, Nor Lynn Cash. I mean, he runs his horse. He's like a harness trainer. He runs his horses <laughs> left and right, and, and they seem to, they really seem to perform more often than not. The fun story with this race to me, outside of liking locally owned, is that our Arguably the two best horses on paper have the two worst post positions. They're all the way on the outside. And I fear that one of no salt or no burn may come out of this race. They each have enough speed to overcome the draw. They're both in very good form at the moment. I, I would use the three, nine and 10. I'd back up with a one and five. I know I'm a little, little spready in the front end of, of this ticket, but this looks like a really fun and competitive race. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure. And we'll see if it does get affected by scratches um, in short order. Race number eight, New York bred allowance, three and up, six furlongs on the dirt. And uh, we'll throw this one right back to you, Nick. I took a little shot here and picked the 11 Taco Bean on top. I'm not sure how much I think he can actually win. And he might be more of a placing type, but... Jesus Romero is a trainer that's done really, he's done better with, with some kind of subpar stock than people might realize. They see low percentages and they assume that these guys can't train. He is just one for 20. His maiden win came in wire to wire fashion against a bad field. I thought that was a big wake up effort last time. I know he was second in a, in a soft one other than, um, but he draws a favorable outside post. He doesn't have to be on the lead. There's a lot of speed in here, Pete. This, this thing should really heat up early between my last mission, Warriors Revenge. I don't think today's flavor is necessarily going to book it towards the front end, but he'll be forwardly placed. Zircon also has some speed. So that was why I tried him. I think today's flavor is very, very much the horse to beat. He's coming back relatively fast off a wire-to-wire -wire win for George Weaver and and I think is in position to be dangerous even from a little bit off the pace. So I'm going to just use the 5 and 11 and hope that one of those gets home. All right. I mean, a 20 to one shot on the on the uh, top line there as the top pick. That would be something if you can get that one in. I did go with today's flavor. Stepped up big time last time. And you pointed out one on the easy lead. But I don't know. The fact that the horse uplined, pace figures getting faster throughout that race. I don't think he necessarily needs the lead. And I think stalk and pounce tactics might be the way to go here, as you mentioned, back in just 14 days. The other horse I just sort of had to use based on the trip last time was the three on the hill i thought was usable second off the layoff and i thought looking at pace figures might be able to prove to be the best closer i was going to try to go five and three i'll certainly throw your taco bean in at uh, the kind of number that that one's going to be we close out with another one of these races i feel like i could make a case for five or six this is the new york bred maiden claiming 25 going six and a half furlongs Nick, how are we going to get paid? You know, this is a tough way to end it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the the untrustworthy uh, horse, proven horses. Um, and I'm speaking of, you know, the likes of our son, Jake, and Chief Engineer, and Reunion Tour, and Hereby. And, and you know, you look through that Patrick the Great, probably to a little bit lesser extent, but you look through this field and you really are dying for a fresh face. And so I went with the fresh face escape mission that uh, – that is a second time starter. This horse got real money on debut. That was a big field. He went off nine to two. I think it had a lot to do with it being kind of a subpar field on paper, but nonetheless, I thought he ran credibly. I, I don't think he ran poorly at all. He was uh, in the mix early, chasing a hot pace. 
retired late. Ray Handel, whose barn is just on on fire at the meet, 23% with a 227 ROI, second time starting maidens in dirt sprints. So I think there's real reason to believe he'll improve. The aforementioned our son Jake is a horse I would use as well, first time for a tag. Mike Maselli, another trainer whose barn was a little iffy towards the middle of the year. They've definitely heated up quite a bit as time has gone by. And the other two horses that I find a way to use, whether, you know, depending on your opinion, whether his main horses are backups or the nine and 12, Patrick the Great, and uh, and it's a little bit funny. Um, it's a little, a little bit funny as a first-time starter. Dam was all turf, but she's dropped a couple of winners, and the work tab here looks very, very strong. The other horse, of course, that I think you, you want to use if you can afford it is the 10-8 and sand for our friends at 10 Strike. This, of course, is a half to a critical value and, um, and looms boldly, in fact. Yep. So uh, we'll see if Aiton Sand can continue that upward trend after a, a, a vastly improved race last time out. We see it very similarly, a lot of the same numbers. I was going to leave, uh, I had it for technical purposes, 9, 10, 11, 12 on the top line. And I was going to use one line on the five, Chief Engineer, just looking at how loose he is. I mean, I know 0 for 17, but looking how loose he is on the time form U.S. pace projector. This could be the kind of race where just nobody wants to do uh, any passing. So mostly to the outside, was going to throw in that one line on the five. Yeah, we are pretty spready. It's going to cost a little bit of money to to, to play the, this uh, this pick six today. But with the 38,000 in there um, and uh, the NFL on in the background, I'm pretty sure I'm going to take a little swing. Maybe we can maybe we can get lucky one time. Any closing thoughts for you, Nick, on uh, this sequence or or anything really in the in the racing world? No, I think it's a fun way to close out the week, and we've got another full week at Aqueduct next week before the uh, little holiday break. So, still plenty of good racing out there. Let's get it. Uh, let's get it rocking and rolling. All right, Nick. We thank you one more time. We thank our partners at Naira. Been so fun working with them this year. Good to get a few more shows in before we hit the break, as you alluded to. That's going to do it. The show's been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>